Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. Today on the show, we're going to be recapping this week's Real Housewives of Atlanta. There's also a bunch of Housewives news that we need to get to. And then after all of the Bravo stuff, I have an interview with Brian Michael Smith, who's on 911 Lone Star on Fox. It's a great show. If you haven't watched it with Rob Lowe, check it out. Um, and I hope you'll stick around for that interview because it's really good stuff. And I'll put it up on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Danny Pellegrino and the number one if you want to watch it. Before we get into any of that, though, there's so much stuff happening in our Bravo cinematic universe. We've got to break it all down. Uh, Roni, of course, was filming their upcoming season. They're at the tail end, and they were set to go on their cast trip. Somebody in the cast, unfortunately, has contracted COVID, and they have to take a two-week break, according to Page Six. Now, when this news came out, everyone online was saying that it was Ramona. We know now, I believe, from following Ramona on social media, that it's not her. (laughs) She did say at the reunion that she had the antibodies, and now I don't believe it was her. And I had heard it was not her, but it was interesting to me that everyone just assumed I went on Twitter and everyone's like, it's Ramona, it's Ramona. And I was thinking, Ramona's like reading the timeline and just saying like, why is everyone saying it's me? And it's like, because Ramona, you're the most irresponsible, according to social media. But I don't believe it's her. Um, and speaking of Roni, did you guys see on social media when Dorinda this past week Dorinda went on Instagram and Ramona had posted on Instagram a picture of like Tinsley and I think it was Leah and Countess Luann and it said like, we're a dysfunctional family. And everyone was trying to decode, like, does that mean Tinsley was filming for the upcoming season? Like, what does that mean? But Dorinda got really upset and she commented on it. And then it didn't really make any sense what Dorinda's comment was, but then Dorinda went and posted her own posts on Instagram and it was like this video from the finale party of last season And you couldn't hear what was going on in the video. So everyone in the comments was like, what the fuck does this mean? And Dorinda was just commenting back like, yep. (laughs) She she wasn't answering anyone's questions. She was just commenting back like, yep, that's it. And people are like, what does this mean, Dorinda? And it just made me miss Dorinda. I know we haven't even started airing the next season, but I just thought, what are we going to be doing here without Dorinda? I can't believe we're going to be missing her next season. And I just, I love her so much. And her whole social media presence this over this past week just made me miss her. And again, don't know what we're going to be doing without her. Thank you, Giovanni! She's, she's still a, at least someone we could follow on Instagram. Just commenting back. Yep, that's it. Uh, what else is going on? Real Houses of Salt Lake City, they released their reunion looks. My favorite look was Whitney. I thought she looked like, a lot of people posted this, that she looked like a Barbie, a holiday Barbie. She had the big flowy red dress. I thought the color looked fantastic on her. I thought all of the women looked pretty good. I Meredith is wearing sort of like this half suit, half dress thing, which is interesting. It's interesting to me. I don't think it's my favorite look by any means, but I do like that it's something like totally batshit insane, and I'm into it. And I wonder if Brooks made her do it. Who made her do it? 
Um, who else? I think Heather looks great. I think they all look pretty good for their first season reunion. When I saw that Orange Cavani reunion picture that came out, I was like, thought it was just truly one of the worst collective looks we've ever seen um, in a Housewives cast. And so when Salt Lake City came out for their first season, I thought they looked pretty good. And did you guys notice like the Salt Lake City set? It looks like one of those elaborate Hallmark holiday movie sets, which is my favorite thing in the world. And that's the highest of compliments coming from me. But it looks like Christmas just fucking exploded in the back of their set. And it's like, I can't wait for that. Meanwhile, the Orange County set looks like they just threw them in a warehouse. I feel like you guys, Orange County... Orange County, what's going on there? That was, to me, the worst finale we've ever had in Housewives. I'm sorry, it aired last week. I know we're not going to be breaking down that finale in detail, but what the fuck is going on over there? It was, they all went to the beach. I know they had to deal with COVID, but like something's just off there. And it's a two-part reunion, which we all know means they didn't really have much from the season or the reunion. I don't know. It's really embarrassing how far we've come with Orange County from the peak of the Brooks years. I know we all hated Brooks, but those years of television were some compelling stuff. When Vicki Gumbelson was faking the cancer situation with the Brooks, I mean, that was compelling TV, and now here we are, and I'm like, what is even going on in this finale? Meanwhile, Bronwyn, who I think we all had high hopes for at the beginning of the season, now she's all over uh, with paparazzi. Have you seen all these paparazzi photos of the Bronwyn? Oh my God, you guys. First and foremost, I'd like to say that I don't think any paparazzi photos camping out or, or photographers camping out in the Orange County to take a photo of Bronwyn. Not even at the height of the Real Housewives uh, world. You know, I'm talking about the table flip years when millions and millions of people were tuning into these shows. Not even then do I believe that paparazzi were camping out at these women's houses. I mean, back then you did have paparazzi photos of Teresa or or pre-Teresa jail, post-Teresa prison situation. There certainly were photographers that were looking for photos of them, uh, of people like Teresa. But I just don't believe that there's a paparazzi in Orange County, no less, in the midst of a pandemic that are looking to take photos of Bronwyn uh, Wyndham Burke. I just don't buy it. So I believe that whoever her publicist is must be really good. I believe whoever Bronwyn's using to do these services is doing a great job because these photos are popping up. I'm seeing in the Daily Mail. I'm seeing it. I saw them on Twitter, these photos. And she's trying to be real casual. There's one of her with her girlfriend. And then there was a photo of Sean. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry. There's no way a paparazzi is waiting at a restaurant to take a photo of Sean. He's not even a cast member. He's the husband of a cast member. There's no way. I mean, I could explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. There's no way this is a thing. And so, look, they're fooling us all. We're all getting bamboozled by these paparazzi shots. But it is exhausting. It is exhausting. And I'm someone who wanted to like Bronwyn. I did. But I don't. (laughs) I sure don't. And so I'm not saying that she hires paparazzi to come take photos of her out and about, but I am implying it. I am implying it. What else? Um, in that, that reunion, you guys, or that, uh, finale of Orange County, it was rough. And I'm going to say something. We're going to get into the real houses of Atlanta right now. And I'm just going to say something that's going to be very disappointing to you guys. I'm sorry, but I do. I hate to be negative on this show. I try to always find the good in these shows, but I do think that this was one of the worst weeks in Bravo history. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't. There was definitely good stuff. And even a bad week in Bravo is still better than most other things on TV. But between that Orange County finale and then this week's Real House of Atlanta, you guys, 
<sighs> this week's Real Houses of Atlanta, I'm sorry to say, it felt like watching paint dry. It did. Now, I want to say at the end of the episode, they did play like a trailer and it said like, coming up in the next few weeks, which I'll, let's play a little clip from that trailer. It's a quick trailer. Let's just listen to what's coming up on the show after this week's episode. For the next few weeks. Join us on an epic girls' trip. You have entered the dungeon with enough twists and turns. Why are you rubbing all of my hair? That will make you wonder. Who did that? There's not enough holy water or sage in the world to erase what went down in this house. I had to see his penis. <laughs> okay. Now, first of all, I don't think that Bravo has ever really done this. Normally, they have a mid-season trailer, but this was like a weird coming up in the next few weeks. So does that mean we're mid-season? Does that mean, I I assume this season is shortened. Now, don't get me wrong, that trailer looked really good. It seems like we're going to get to that whole situation with the stripper, with the PPE that somebody allegedly hooks up with on the cast trip. But it seems strange to me that we're already seeing it so early in the season? And then why didn't they just say it's mid-season if it is mid Even if it's a shortened season, why didn't they say mid-season? Now, also, if you watch the video of it, there's like this strange confessional shot of Kenya Moore looking like Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, where she's in like that dress. And I'm like, what is happening? Did they dress up Kenya? Is Kenya acting at this point? I know Kenya, she really plays it up for the cameras, but is she acting like Sharon Stone in that trailer? And then Candy's doing the narration, and she's like, uh, "Who said that?" Like she's calling on her old ta- her old um, uh, lines. What is going on over in Atlanta? They're normally so good, and normally Atlanta again, even a bad episode. Of Atlanta is still better than anything else on TV. But this was one of, I believe, maybe I was just in a bad place when I was watching this week's episode. But I really thought, like, this is the worst. <laughs> like this, is, we've come so far. We've come so far. And look, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic stuff, but if it is, maybe we all need to take a little breather, regroup for a second, and then start filming. Maybe we don't need to hop in to all of these shows and just start filming immediately if we don't have anything going on. There's enough shows on Bravo to go around. Like, let's take a beat and let's wait until things get good. Uh, Again, at least it seems like we're turning a corner on The Real Houses of Atlanta and it'll get good. But this week, you guys, was not it. It was not it. Uh, let's see. We open with, um, there was like a little montage. We see Kenya with her marketing person, and she's trying to do some new branded product called Less Is More with Kenya. And the marketing woman is like, you got to put your last name in there. You got to put your, you got to put Kenya in the name. And she's like, I sure do. And that's good branding. I'll be honest. That's good branding. Then we see Drew and Ralph. They're playing around. And Ralph's honestly a hot man. I just don't like him. He's a hot man, and I'm not going to be digmatized by Ralph, because he doesn't seem like a good human, to me, at least. Maybe I'll turn a corner, I might change my mind. I mean, we talked a little bit about Orange County, and that other one, Emily, Shane, uh, Emily's husband, Shane, I turned a corner with him, and I sort of like him now. So, you know, worse, crazier things have happened. Um, then we see Cynthia, again, she's planning for this wedding. To the future, Mr. and Mrs. Chill have invited uh, 250 people, and she's like, 167 have confirmed. How did this happen? She's like so shocked that 167 people have confirmed. Um, And I am too. I'm shocked that 167 people are going to uh, 
wedding at the height of this pandemic, but apparently something that's happening. And I'm exhausted by the wedding already. I sort of think I was really racking my brain here. And I sort of feel like production has somehow made Cynthia the star of this show. And I know Portia, Portia has the most star power. Okay, I understand that. Portia definitely has the most star quality. She's the funniest. She's the most appealing. She's got that X factor, I believe. But Portia is kind of off doing her own stuff this season. Of course, she's doing the wonderful work for the Black Lives Matter movement. And and she is the one we're most drawn to. But it feels like the season is revolving around Cynthia and this wedding business. And that feels like a production mistake to me. We've already seen Cynthia do the wedding thing. No one wants to watch it right now. I don't know why she's uh, by default become the lead of the show. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then she's talking about the dad. There is some drama about inviting the dad to the wedding. And there was also drama about the mom. Cynthia's mom was upset that she did the PSA for Kenya a few seasons ago and like didn't realize it was on camera. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't realize? Even Cynthia said to her, like, um, I'm sorry that you did that thing on camera that you knew was on camera and then was mad about it after it aired. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's how cameras work. Cynthia's mom. I don't even know Cynthia's mom's name. She's beautiful gal, though. Then we see a scene with Drew and Ralph talking about uh, Ralph is grieving his father. Ralph does apologize to Drew, which I like, but I still am not buying it. And then they release a bunch of Richards into the sky. Richards, of course, are balloons uh, disguised as people. And this is a scene that, again, reminded me so much of The Real Houses in New York. If you um, got that reference, you must watch Roni. And I hope you all watch Roni, because it's one of the best. But we all remember on Roni when Dorinda believed that the balloon was the ghost of Richard. And now we're believing that Ralph's father is one of the balloons here on The Real Houses of Atlanta. Remember, they released all these balloons into the sky which I don't believe you're supposed to do. So don't take this as something you should do because technically it's just like littering. You know, I hate to get all on my high horse here, but I don't, I don't think that you're supposed to release balloons into the sky. It's not a thing. Um, but I understand people grieve differently. Uh, you know, everyone grieves differently. Just maybe find a new way to do it. Just find, and I don't know that I have to explain this to everyone, but balloons aren't people. Balloons aren't people. And so, now that this has happened on multiple Housewives franchises where we believe a balloon is a person, this time uh, we're believing that Ralph's father is a balloon. Um, when it stopped at the house, they released all these balloons. It looked like the house from up going up in the air, and then one of them just stopped at the roof. And then Drew and Ralph were like, oh, that's your father. And I thought, no, it's not. <laughs> Although I say that as someone, everyone grieves differently. And I say that as someone who just released a podcast episode with the Long Island Medium. For those of you that listened or watched it on YouTube, you could see in the middle of it that I cried hysterically when my grandmother came up. So who am I to judge? We all grieve differently. We all grieve differently. Um, let's see. Then we cut to Candy at home. She's doing like a grocery charity thing. Candy's lawyer called about getting money from Riley's dad. We didn't talk about Riley's goodbye last uh, week, but it was truly sad. I mean, I was bawling throughout that Riley goodbye when Riley was going off to the college. I, I cried my eyes out. Um, and baby Ace, when baby Ace was like talking about Riley and what did he say? Riley likes clean something or, ah, uh, I was losing it. That baby Ace is the most cute, adorable kid. Adorable kid. Anyway, Candy's trying to get the money from Riley's dad. And then the makeup artist, they're doing all of Candy's, uh, they're beating her face, you know, in, in, um, 
metaphorical terms. And the makeup artist is like, why are you trying to get money? Like, you have the money. And Candy's like, it's not about that. And I agree with Candy. It's like, this man, if he's making all this money, he should have paid child support. Come on. Come on! Anyway, then, um, we cut to Portia and Cynthia. This was boring. You guys, this scene was boring. And I, again, I'd say Portia's the most naturally funny. Last week, she did this bit about opening her legs to Dennis. And it was like a stand-up routine. I could have seen it uh, on an HBO special. It was so, so good. But this scene, it ain't it. And Cynthia, I just wrote in my notes, go girl, give us nothing. Because (laughs) I wrote, Cynthia, go girl, give us nothing. Um, It was just boring. I'm sorry. This scene was boring. I need him to ramp up the energy or something. And again, love Portia, but this scene ain't it. Also, I was thinking about Bravo chat room. So uh, Portia's on that with Kate Chastain and Hannah Burner and um, Giselle from Housewives of Potomac. And I sort of wish they had a rotating panel on that show. I don't, I wish they would because I love Portia on it. I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> then we cut to Cynthia. She's on the phone with Noelle, who's an influencer now. Noelle's going to come visit for the wedding. She's going to come home for two weeks. Cynthia wants her there for longer, but Noelle's like, look, I got influencing to do. Now, could Noelle do the influencing from Lake Bailey? Sure. But she only wants to stay for two weeks, which I think is plenty of time. Uh, then we have Candy's charity event, which is called Candy Cares, which this seems like a great thing. But I'm sorry, watching the cast pack celery isn't my idea of fun. It's just not. They all just had stalks of celery in their hands. And Kenya was trying to kind of mix it up. She was stirring the pot with Portia and Dennis. And to me, it feels like Kenya's the only one really working. And I can't even imagine in the early days of the pandemic when we were all so emotionally, mentally, physically drained from everything that was going on and everything that we're taking in. I couldn't imagine having to film a TV show and be so up and energetic and all of that. And that's what these people are having to do. But it's like, that's why we should have waited because this scene, I'm sorry, it's boring. I wrote in my notes in this uh, for this point, I wrote, I'm bored, mama. <laughs> I don't know why I added the mama, but I wrote, I'm bored, mama. Even when Marlo shows up, Marlo's always like a a shot of adrenaline in the arm. And it was like, Marlo was even boring me a little bit. She did donate 5K to Candy's charity. And I like seeing them do the charity work. But Drew wasn't even there. Drew's quarantining. I'm like, did Drew get the COVID? Like, why is she quarantining? Did they explain that? Did I just check out when they explained that? Because what is going on? And then Kenya, she sits everyone down at a table and is like, I know we're all going stir crazy, so we need a vacation. And I'm thinking, I'm going stir crazy, and I need a vacation, but I can't. So it's like, I'm not having fun watching this show. Sorry. I'm not. I'm sorry. Also, when I mentioned that this was a really terrible week in Bravo, I did mention that Southern Charm was also inexplicably bad this week. They did bamboozle us by saying it's like part one of the season finale. And then nothing happened. I don't know why they were trying to act like part one of this thrilling two-parter. I'm like, nothing happened. Why did you trick me? Always tricking me. I'm on to you guys. I love you, Bravo, with all of my heart, but you are got to stop it. you got to stop trying to bamboozle me into thinking I'm watching a, a thrilling two-part epic finale and then giving me nothing. Go, girl, give us nothing. Okay, don't do it to me again. I'm sorry. And Southern Charm, what is happening over there? It's such a mess. It's such a mess right now. And Southern Charm, we've had some real high heights. You know, I love that season when it was like the the women versus the men, and now... I don't know. Pringle. I like Pringle, but he feels like he's on a different show. I'm sorry. We're going to take a little Southern Charm detour for a second. Pringle feels like he's on a separate show. 
something totally different. I also can't watch one more minute of Madison and Austin. Not one more minute. I don't want to see it anymore. It's crazy. The relationship, they were sitting down this past week and they were like, we don't want, I don't want to be with you, but like, you're not allowed to be with anyone else. It's like, what the fuck? That's crazy. And enough is enough. Taylor Armstrong, enough with you guys. I, do, I want, don't want one more frame of, of Austin and Madison. Quite frankly, I don't even want to watch that Muppet on TV anymore. I like Madison, but Austin, I'm, I just, I don't know. And Craig, I, I thought Craig could maybe be a good narrator instead of Cam, but I was wrong. Uh, and not enough Patricia. And then they introduced all these other new people, which they got great diversity. They added a bunch of new people, but they weren't properly introduced. So when we saw Pringle for the first time, we saw him at home. We got to know him a bit. Or uh, Leva, we got to know her a bit. But they added all these other people. And it's like, who are they? They just are like, oh, she works at Gwyn's or something. It's like, I-, I don't really understand. Like, now these people are around all the time, but they weren't properly introduced. Uh, sorry to sorry to go off like that. I feel like I'm being so negative this week. I'm sorry. You know I love the Bravo. Bravo people, executives, if you're listening. This is also maybe not the best time to say I'm going to be able to watch what happens live on Tuesday night. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bravo. I love you. I love you guys. I, I, I say it because I care. I say it because I care about all these shows. So then we have uh, Cynthia's picking up Noelle from the airport. She sits down. This is that scene with the mom, and they're all wearing those face shields and uh, the mom's mad about the PSA. Cynthia um, Cynthia did have a moment that really broke my heart where she said she feels bad about the mom getting pregnant with her and she just doesn't want to disappoint the mom. And I thought that was, it was a beautiful moment. She said that in the confessional. And so, you know, again, Atlanta, these women are entertaining in general. It's just, this was sort of a rough episode. And I could tell that's why they gave us that little thrilling preview at the end of the episode because i think they knew this was a flop episode so they were like we got to give them something you know i could just picture the editors and producers like emailing each other like this is the worst episode (laughs) we know this is terrible like let put something you got to put a trailer or something after it because we know this is bad they knew it so i don't even think i'm speaking out of turn when i talk about how shitty this episode was because they knew it they knew it by giving us that trailer they were saying we know this is a flop episode but hang in there, because we're going to give you some good stuff. And it looks like some good stuff is coming. So let's hang on tight. Let's uh, just know we got some good stuff coming. Now, that's all the Housewives stuff. Before I play my interview, I want to say please find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash everything iconic. If you donate $4 more per month, you get access to the bonus episodes. I'm doing Sex and the City recaps over there right now, one a month. And more importantly, the money supports the show. Also, we have new merch available, everythingiconic.store. Just go to that website and you can see we have Queen Icon Legend face masks now, and we just got the wine glasses in stock. We were out of stock for a while because those sell out pretty quickly, so we got some of those. So, uh, With all of that said, I want to play my chat with Brian Michael Smith. This is a really interesting conversation, and right before the interview, when I was doing my research, I learned that Brian and I actually graduated from Kent State. So... uh I actually, I spent my first two years of college at Ohio University, and then I transferred to Kent and finished up my degree there, um, Kent State in Ohio. And I learned that Brian actually graduated from the same program a, a couple years before me, but I thought maybe we might have had some classes together, which is such a small world. But uh, Brian Michael Smith is also in this fantastic documentary called Disclosure, which we talk about briefly. And um, it's about trans representation in media. And uh Brian is, of course, a trans actor, and and 
uh, it's such an amazing documentary. I hope you guys will check it out. And also, 911 Lone Star, you guys know I love it. I talked about it last season on the show. And I find it very uh, compelling. I'm a little scared because Liv Tyler's not on this upcoming season. But um, it's a thrilling show, and there's really hot people, a lot of gays, a lot of LGBTQ content, storylines. So uh, you guys check it out. Um, and I'll play that, and I'll leave you guys with this chat with Brian Michael Smith from 911 Lone Star. Oh, I love that sound, don't you? And that's the sound you're going to hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Uh, we use it here at Everything Iconic. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling all your business complexity, no matter how big you grow. I think it's fantastic. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache, but Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate all of your products, your orders, your customers, and more uh, from every major e-commerce platform all the way to Shopify. And I always hate when I'm shopping online and I have to re-enter all of my information. Well, Shopify store remembers your shipping address, your payment information. So if you're on the couch and your wallet's on the kitchen counter, you don't have to get up, which is nice. So sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash everything iconic, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash everything iconic. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash everything iconic. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And we all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Sometimes the small stressors are the worst for me because I cannot stop thinking about them when I'm trying to sleep or when I'm trying to go about my day. I keep those little things bottled up and it can start to affect me negatively. Now, therapy is a safe space to get those things off of my chest and figure out how to work through all that stuff. And if you've never benefited from therapy, I think it's time you explore. I think anyone can be helped by going to a professional therapist. It's so incredibly helpful to get those coping skills skills and uh, deal with those stressors. So uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out this quick, brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is so important. Uh, so that way you find someone that you work well with. Now, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Everything Iconic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Everything Iconic. All right, Brian Michael Smith, of course, from 911 Lone Star. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How you doing? Good. Welcome to Everything Iconic. I was doing my research and we actually graduated from the same school. You graduated from Kent State University, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, okay. I graduated from Kent too. Um, and also from the video production program, I think around the same time, we might have like had a class together or something. Is that right? Do you know Mike Verratti? I mean, he's doing like similar things. I know, I know who he is, but I don't know. Yeah. What a small world. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. Did you remember Carl Eidsvug? This is sort of a. (laughs) I have nightmares about him, Brian. What the heck? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Him and Ron Thomas were just like the two guys that were just like, I can't, I just, I don't want to. 
Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wild, man. No one's going to know what we're talking about. But yeah, I, I literally have nightmares about that man still to this day. I'm in the um, black world, man. I just, yeah. Yeah. Brian, talk to me about uh, 911 Lone Star. I love the show. I've been watching, uh, I've seen every episode. I love it. But tell me about the new season, about your role, all of that stuff. Um, I'm excited about the new season, 911 Lone Star. We're picking up uh, into the quarantine. We're like, bring that into it. So you're seeing, like, you know, what have we been up to in the, in the months since? Uh, you know, things kind of popped off. And uh, you know, I thought that uh, because of the COVID protocols with production and whatnot, they're like, oh, man, they're going to probably scale things down until we can. They have not. So we have <laughs> bigger uh, emergencies that we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, everything is just as, as action-oriented as possible. But what's been really cool is to see how we've been exploring the deepening relationships between uh, the characters on the show and how they've evolved, you know, over time, like because of, because of COVID forcing us together or like just kind of upending our personal lives in ways. And you're kind of seeing how that's going to uh, play out over the season. So we got some new characters coming in that you didn't see before. We have some characters who um, are not going to be joining us again. And just kind of like, are oh. we missing? We're not going to have Liv again. Are we? Is Liv- no, no. Yeah. So Liv is I'm not miss Liv. Brian. Yeah, no, she was, I love her. So fun to work with. Um, just as, as sweet as her voice, you know, and, and like, you know, it made everything like a, a good time. So we definitely miss her in, in the in the production. And, uh, you know, the door is open for her character. So, you know, so that that that's a plus. Um, so hopefully but, she'll, we'll get her back at some point. Hopefully she'll pop you know, back in. It's 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 uh, the Tim Minear Rashad world. Things can happen if we can have a volcano in Austin. I think we can get some more <laughs> Michelle Blake. You know what I mean? <laughs> My favorite thing from last season was just she'd be delivering these like very intense lines, but she has like you said the sweetest voice ever, and it yes. was just I I loved it. I loved the sort of dichotomy of it. Yes, it just just throw it off because it's like you know you got uh, us coming in, it's all testosterone. Like let's go, we got this, we got this, Captain. If you give this child I'm like, yeah you tell him that. you tell him yeah <laughs> did you ever see her opened i'm sorry to make this about Liv tyler now but did you see her architectural digest open tour um it's like a tour of her house it's brian just go check it out it's the best thing i've ever seen in my whole life okay i'm doing it i'm creeping in her house i need to know what's going on over there okay so your character what's to come for your character specifically uh, so paul you were getting to know a little bit more about paul and seeing him open up which has been great uh, uh in the first season you know he was still feeling everything out you know and like you know kind of getting to know people he's a man a few uh, a few words um i feel like this season he's opening up a bit more so you're getting to see a little bit more about his humor you're getting to see a little bit more about his relationship with uh with his comrades and you get to know a little bit more about his family and uh and his backstory which i think is going to be interesting and f- uh, forgive me if i get this wrong but it, it's the first trans black care uh, series regular on network tv right black trans masculine character on network tv wow yeah. okay okay and so have you heard from a lot of uh, trans youths and 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 people and what's have, that been like i have i've kept my um my dm opens for that specific reason i work at the uh the lgbt center in manhattan in their youth program and it was an experience for me that let me know just how important it is to be accessible for young people or people who are not necessarily young chronologically, but maybe young in their relationship to their identity and their truth and how much of a difference it makes to have a real person to be able to see a real person doing things that you would want to do for yourself and to be able to like talk to them, you know, either for encouragement or, you know, to ask questions and things like that. So I've had a lot of young people uh, reach out to me and either just, you know, let, let them know how much my character, my work has meant to them, or just how much me as an individual kind of 
putting myself out there and, and, and going after my dreams uh, has, has meant to them. And that's been amazing. And our, like having parents talk to me about how they've been able to under, have more understanding for their child and stick up for their child when they're facing discrimination in school and their community because they realize that, you know, a lot of it is fear based and they don't have to be as afraid of their child not having a future as they were before. You know, like we still have to deal with uh, bullying and violence and the threat of, of violence for sure. But, you know, just knowing that there is a path for them into adulthood, you know, goes, right. goes a long way. So profound to me. Yeah. I mean, I think about, I think about that time at Kent state and I, you know, I'm a, a gay man and I think about representation when I was in college or in high school and there wasn't much of it. And it's so incredibly important for kids to be able to see themselves on screen in all sorts of different roles mm-hmm. because it lets them know that there is that future. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Growing up in, in, you know, in the Midwest and not seeing anybody like me made me think that I was the only one like me. Mm-hmm. And that was so isolated. So even though I was gregarious, and I was trying all these things to connect and be around people. You know, I just felt this difference that I felt like was going to get in the way or like stop me from doing what I really want to do. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I you know, realized that, OK, I can be who I, I want to be. But that might mean I have to sacrifice what I really want to do. So then for like my mid 20s, I was doing that. I was doing all this acting adjacent work because I thought, if I'm going to be who I am, then I, I'm not going to be able to do that. And so, mm. you know, it wasn't until I saw Laverne Cox in my 30s, you know, that I realized I can be who I am and do what I want to do. Right. And I'm going to do that. You know, you mentioned Laverne and I, one of my favorite documentaries of the past, I don't know how long was Disclosure on Netflix. It was, if, if anyone hasn't watched it, immediately go to Netflix and watch it. You were one of the talking heads in it. And it was such a important piece to just show in speaking of representation, how far we've come, but also how far we still have to go. And, um, you know, one of the things that struck me, and it's it's kind of gone viral, Jen Richards is talking about specifically Eddie Redmayne. Um, I forget the name of the movie uh, where he plays a trans woman. What, what did you? The Danish Girl? Yes, yes, that's it. There's a clip that sort of went viral of Jen talking about that performance and how it's so important to have trans people in trans roles. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, The reason why it's important to have trans people in trans roles is this association that people have that trans people aren't real, that trans people are men who dress up like women or women who dress up like men. And when you have a male actor playing a trans female character um, and then they show up in the interviews and on the red carpet and, you know, peeled and just in their tuxedos and like, you know, see, it was a man. It reinforces that idea. And people respond with violence to that idea, you know, when they are dealing with real trans people in the real world, because they have that association that you're just a man in a dress or you're just a woman who's dressing like a man. And they, they, they have this, you know, visceral response to that. And just, um, if we can show that trans people are real people who exist, not just in the character on the screen, but then also outside of that fictional space that they exist in real life and that they're real functioning human people as well. um, It starts to diminish that association. You get to start to realize that, Oh, trans people do exist and they have always existed and they're going to continue to exist. And they are going about their lives and their daily business. And it is not impacting me in the way that I've been coached to fear it's going to impact me. Right. Right. You know, so you have people who feel like they need to 
enforce and support, you know, bathroom bills and locker room bills and keep, you know, trans people out of sports because of this idea that keeps getting reinforced whenever you see a man playing a trans woman. Right. You know, I always think about people who are sort of breaking the glass ceiling or, or, uh, you know, with the pressure that comes with that, because, you know, here I am, I'm interviewing you and I'm asking you these, these questions that are very large, heavy questions. And I wonder um, um, the emotional toll that must take to always have to, or to always be asked stuff like that. Does that make sense? It does. And I feel like it, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of trans actors who are not out, you know, for that specific reason, not because they have any shame about who they are or, you know, even a fear of a limiting of, of, uh, access to opportunities. They just don't want to do that educational labor. Um, and you know, most of the interviews, you know, I do get a chance to talk about the work sometimes, but then a lot of the conversation will go to, you know, the impact and, you know, being trans. But for me, I consciously made a decision to do that. Like I I consciously made a decision to, you know, to be publicly visible in this way so that I can have these conversations that I can be, I can take the pressure off people who don't necessarily want to have those conversations because I'll do that. Just like I will, I decided to use my art, you know, as my activism, as opposed to, you know, some of the other uh, activists who, you know, like Trace, Chase Strangio is working for the ACLU and is actually going into the Supreme Court and, you know, challenging, you know, anti-trans legislation or, you know, people who are uh, going into the street and organizing um, the community and organizing community uh, demonstrations. Like everybody sort of picks their lane. And as someone who, um, you know, uh, worked at the LGBT community center, did community organizing and, you know, I'm comfortable having the conversation and kind of tries to stay abreast of um, what's happening within the community and what information I feel like needs to get out. I'm okay with, with, with having the, those conversations. You well, know, thank you. I, yeah, they need to be had. I, I think it's so important. And also, I just am so grateful to people like you who are willing to openly talk about it. Because, again, it's emotionally exhausting to have these conversations. And, and you know, there's certain people who have broken glass ceilings who are constantly called on to have these heavy conversations. And so, I, I thank you. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what's next for you? What What are your aspirations outside of 911 Lone Star? Like, what what's next or what do you hope for? Well, you know, I was hoping uh, to start getting to some films when we go into the hiatus. Like I, I love doing uh, the action uh, on, uh, on Lone Star and, you know, somebody who grew up eating, you know, just action TV shows and, and, uh, and films and just watching like so much. There's a lot of things that's like, okay, now I feel like I, I you know, I, I want to do that. So if I had my way, I would do a trifecta of, uh, of action type movies. I would do a disaster film. I would do a war movie and uh, I would do a Western. Oh, we need that, Brian. Yes. yes. I find that's one of the things I'm not normally an action guy, but I'm like watching 911 Lone Star and I'm loving it. There's so many hot people on it in general. Like every, all of you guys are like, everyone's gorgeous. I love going to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. oh my God, like that cat. What's it like working with Rob Lowe? Is, is he a nice guy? Do you like He him? is a nice guy. Like, you know, he's one of these people you can tell it's like they've been in the industry for a long time. They know how things are supposed to go and they're going to make sure that things go in that way. But he also loves what he does. So there's a joy that he kind of brings to work too, because it's like, you know, he enjoyed, he enjoys it and he's done TV a lot, but I think this is his first like lead vehicle. And so I think he's like, you know, in, enjoying that and like, you know, bringing that to work. So it's been really fun to like, you know, to talk to him, uh, watch what he like. I learned a lot from him just from watching him like work and like, you know, how he works with the cameras and um, finds the, the angles and whatnot, or, you know, finds like 
you know, if he can take a scene, like on the page, it looks great. It's in rehearsal. It's great. And then like, you know, he'll find a moment. It's like, this is what's going to take it to that, you know? And like, it's, 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 uh, it's like watching a masterclass sometimes. So that's been fun. I listened. I, I'm a huge Martin Short fan and he had Martin Short on his podcast. I listened to it. It was so funny to just hear them talk about stories from throughout the years of Hollywood. And that's like, they yes. worked with every, you forget kind of some of these people have worked with everyone. And yes. uh, yeah. No, Brian, no, what kind of, he has so many, he has stories. I tell you, man, literally about almost everybody. So that's been fun too. Like getting them on like Hollywood history lessons. whenever yeah. I go to work. What kind of stuff do you like? What's your favorite movie? Do you have like a couple of movies that are your go-to? You mentioned you love the action genre. Is there like one or two movies you won't stop if you're flipping through channels? You know, I'm like, uh, I love Titanic. Titanic, I think, is one of those like secret engines that really propelled me to go after it because it was one of the most transformative experiences I've had in a movie theater where like it just took me somewhere. I'm like, I love that. Um, and the first and- time I ever saw Titanic was on VHS. Remember they had to put the it in VHS? Yeah. I pre ordered those two tapes and I, I think I had to go pick it up at Sam Goody or some shit. And it- the old world <laughs> that was like yeah. two VHS tapes. Yeah, but uh, I love I like I, like Titanic. I absolutely love I love Interstellar. I could watch that and Black Panther. I could just I, it's another one of those things that just I feel like it, I go to Wakanda every time I do it. You know what I mean? Right, Brian. We need to see you in a Marvel movie. I think her, Brian. Thank you so much for taking the time. I look forward to watching the premiere of Nine One One Lone Star. Where can people find you on social media? They can find me at the Brian Michael on Twitter and at the underscore Brian Michael on Instagram. Thank you so much, Brian, for taking the time and congrats on all the success. And hopefully we'll meet in person sometime. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Thanks, Danny. (laughs) Bye-bye. love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com. 